Welcome to the St. Emelins podcast. I'm Ian Beardsall. And I'm Simon Carley. And this is another of our monthly updates looking at the blog site. And we're still catching up a little bit from winter. So this is our podcast looking at the post we had in February. Simon, how have things been with you recently? Pretty busy. We're still actively seeing patients. We've got lots and lots of sick people coming through. Winter hasn't really finished for us, but it's interesting. There's great work. We're doing some good stuff up here in Manchester. Uh, Down south, obviously, the weather is better. It's always sunnier down here, but as a Yorkshireman, I have lived both lives. So I can sympathise with you up in the rainy north. Uh, Do keep ploughing on through those cold winter evenings as we enjoy the balmy sunshine of the south. Uh, Now, Simon, let's crack on. There is lots happening this year. There's quite a few blog posts to go through. But before we do that, let's just remind people about the booking arrangements for this course we've got coming up later this year in October, both the St. Emlyn's Live and the teaching course in Manchester. Yep. So if you bob onto the St. Emlyn's website, the St. Emlyn's blog, that is, and you have a look at two pinned tweets we've got at the top there, we've got the St. Emlyn's Live conference, a one day conference based around the four pillars of St. Emlyn's. So that's clinical work, evidence-based medicine, well-being, and the philosophy of emergency medicine. That's a one-day conference, international speakers, doing that as cheaply as we can. And then that's followed by the teaching co-op course in Manchester. That's a three-day course looking at all aspects of developing you as an expert teacher. All of those bookings via the website. St. Emlyn's Live is something we've been thinking about for a couple of years now. Really exciting, trying to bring to life everything that we've done in front of a computer screen and a microphone for the last few years. I'm really hoping this will be a really special day where people can get together in the same room. The ethos of St. Emlyn's, get that book now. We're optimistic it's going to sell out. It's not a massive venue. So please do get in there early and get that place booked. Simon, onto the blog site and the post we've had this month. Well, not this month. We're back in February, just catching up a bit. So there was some good stuff, quite a few trials in there. The first one that we had was about intranasal ketamine and fentanyl for children. Yeah, I don't know what you do down in Southampton for the management of children who come in with painful injuries. So something like a burn is a is a dead obvious one. They come in, they're in lots and lots of pain. You want to get control of that very quickly, but IV access is not not easy in children. So we've used for a long period of time intranasal diamorphine as the drug of choice in that group. I'm not sure what you use in Southampton. We've been um, back and forth with a few things, but diamorphines tend to be the thing when we can get hold of it. And obviously diamorphine is still a drug that has... Well, it's heroin, isn't it? So it has uh, a little bit of a stigma attached to it. And when you ask for it, you can get a funny look every now and again. And I think we have moved away from it a bit. We don't use it in MI anymore. It's hidden away in the drug cupboard. So if there was something else that we use more frequently, that could be a good thing. So around the world, and particularly in the US, the other drugs which are commonly used are intranasal ketamine and intranasal fentanyl. And I think in the UK, the one which I've seen most commonly used in other units is intranasal fentanyl. Indeed. I mean, that's what we use in Southampton. And how do you find it works? Yeah, pretty well, I think. Um, We've got it as a nurse-led PGD, so our nursing team can prescribe it. And that means that children can get pain relief quickly. And as I've always said to our doctors when they join us, if you come to the emergency department in pain, our primary job has to be to get rid of your pain. It doesn't matter if you're a child, an adult, if you're 80 or eight, we should be able to take your pain away because we have the drugs to do it. So this is a really important priority for us, I think. I agree. And so I was quite interested in this study. It, it's a randomized control trial, which is good. Lots of good reasons. We like the study design, but also seeing randomized control trials of emergency medicine therapies in children. It's actually quite rare. It shouldn't be. 
but it is. What these guys did is they did an RCT comparing one milligram per kilogram of intranasal ketamine against 1.5 micrograms per kilogram of intranasal fentanyl in kids aged 4 to 17, mostly with suspected isolated extremity fractures. So that's the sort of patients that we would use it in. You know, the banana arm that comes into triage and the kids in a lot of pain need to get some analgesia in them quickly. So they're comparing ketamine and fentanyl. What did they come up with in the end? Well, I suppose the most important thing is actually looking about whether or not it made any difference to the amount of pain that the patients experienced as a result and which one worked better. Bottom line is, didn't really make a lot of difference. There was no significant difference in their primary outcome, which was the reduction in pain. And both drugs seem to work pretty well. The problem is that they do have slightly different side effect profiles. And we know that ketamine causes dizziness, it causes vomiting, it causes nausea, it can give you a very bad taste in your mouth, it can make you very dizzy. And they did find really quite marked differences in the side effect rate. So the conclusion from the authors was that essentially you're probably better off using fentanyl, not because of its pain qualities, but because of its side effect profiles. And I think that's reasonable because we don't want to give kids additional unpleasantness when they come into the ED just because we're giving them some pain meds. As with everything, we always have to balance up the harm of a treatment versus with the benefit. People seem to say risk versus benefit, but it's really harm, isn't it? Are we causing harm when we give something? So with this, it's definitely a balance between the two. Generally, I think intranasal medications are a good thing. And actually just getting an intranasal medication protocol into your department is probably the way forward, almost whatever that is. Have you had any problems getting hold of the mucosolatomizer devices or do you just use a syringe? We don't tend to use the mucosolatomizer devices. We tend to either use a syringe or there is a way of creating a spray device, which I couldn't possibly tell you over the airwaves. I mean, the crazy thing about this is, is that we spend tens, if not hundreds of pounds on all sorts of silly things. A mucosolatomizer device is a couple of quid. And perhaps really the message for this is, is that Try and make it easier to give nasal medication. It seems to work whether you choose diamorphine, ketamine or fentanyl. So just try and make that as easy as possible. In emergency medicine, our problem, and this relates back to why trials are so hard to do, is that we try and take the path of least resistance because we're too busy to do it in any other way. So you just need to make it easy. So if this trial tells me anything, it tells me that nasal medications work. Work in your department to make sure that you can make that happen, make that happen in the most effective way. And probably a mucosolatomizer device is that way. And it's not expensive. So it's an investment that's worth making. We don't use the the atomizers. We still get very good analgesia. I would need to go off and see if there is, well, maybe there is an RCT out there that tells me whether the atomizer is better than a syringe. I can't recall one, but... I know it must have been done somewhere. We need to know that. I guess so. But I suppose it's partly... For want of a better term, it passes the sniff test, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, in more ways than one. You know, it seems like a good idea. It's not expensive. It's not going to cause harm. So maybe it's a good idea. And obviously, I'm not American, but I should state I have no financial interest in companies that make mucosolatomizer devices. So, Simon, that was the first paper that we had a look at on the blog site in February talking about ketamine and fentanyl. What was next? We had a couple of interesting blogs this month from guests. So we had one from Claire Bromley, who's a medical student who works with us up in Manchester. She was interestingly a SMAC volunteer in Berlin and has started sort of dipping a toe into the FOMED world. And I think there's there's many examples of good medical students who've done that over the years, even people like Lauren Westerfer and Eve Purdy, getting involved in education online from an early stage. And I think that's really good. 
Claire's put a nice blog together on why a student would consider emergency medicine as a career, because we do get a bit hammered in the press and we do get a bit hammered when she goes off into other specialities and says, well, I want to be an emergency physician. And people try and put her off, which I think is bizarre. And, you know, if somebody wants to do a career, then that's their choice. And we shouldn't really try and persuade them to do something else. I mean, we can inform them, but actually being negative is not a good thing. And it's not great for the students either. So Claire gives a really good example of how you can build both a student career and then look forward to a professional career in acute care specialties, notably emergency medicine. So if you are a med student or, or anyone really, I think I'd have a look at that. It's quite interesting. One of our biggest challenges, I think, is to make sure that when students come to the department, they're properly engaged in what we do. With all of the hurly-burly of the department, to facilitate students seeing patients and being involved can be quite tricky but I think it's an investment worth making because in 10 years time these are going to be the people who want to apply for specialty training or actually the way training is going consultant jobs in 10 years time so we must encourage people I don't know what Manchester's like I know you've got a good experience of working with the deanery there but emergency medicine isn't always at the forefront of the curriculum it doesn't fit into those surgery medicine other specialties and seems to get short shrift sometimes i've never really understood that for me emergency medicine is at the heart of everything and it's really good training for whatever specialty you do i'm just not sure why it's not a priority across training well interestingly in manchester there is an emergency medicine society which is very good but actually in the hospitals emergency medicine was taken out of the beginning of the third year because it was felt to be too challenging for the students not something i subscribe to and what we're left with now is lots and lots of students who don't get access to doing emergency medicine at all but who are desperate to do so irrespective of where their career is going but i think it's really important to see an undifferentiated unwell group of patients because that's where clinical decision making can be taught and understood and clinical decision making is the core of every specialty and as we come out of winter and we keep saying we're coming out of it, we're not. This is the way it's going to be forever, folks. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Emergency medicine is going to be hard. We have to make sure that medical students are able to be in our departments, to feel engaged, to make sure they get exposed to what's going on. And the four hour target has to we have to work with it so that we can still educate. One of my biggest worries about the target sometimes is, is that we're forgetting our role as educators. And that's not just for students, but that's nursing students, that's nurses, that's paramedics, that's junior doctors, that's consultants with CPD. We've got to make sure that that target doesn't get in the way of everything else. It's really powerful as a driver for other things, but education's got to be at the core of how we're going to survive in years to come. Simon, we then had this uh, a short paper about alcohol sniffing and nausea. Now, this has been around for a bit and I keep slipping my mind to do it. And I have to be honest, I wish I'd had some alcohol sniffing stuff around this weekend as I had a slightly dodgy tummy. But there is good evidence that sniffing an alcohol wipe can make you feel less sick. Am I making that too simple? No, not at all. This goes right back to when I was a junior SHO in emergency medicine in Manchester. And one of the senior nurses said, well, if you can just get somebody to sniff one of these swabs, they'll feel better from the nausea perspective. And I thought they were nuts. And it's one of those sort of old wives tales, if you like, that's been running around for ages. But recently, there's been some interesting studies. I think we published one, or we didn't publish it, but we reviewed one back a couple of years ago, which suggested that sniffing an isopropyl alcohol swab reduces nausea. It wasn't the perfect design. None of these trials are. But now there's an RCT on this looking at what they described as aromatherapy. For the, I thought that was quite sweet, really. Aromatherapy is the sniffing of the isopropyl alcohol swab. It's not normally what I think about in terms of aromatherapy versus oral and dancitron for adult patients in the ED. And that was kind of interesting. 122 patients, 120 went through the study and 40 got the swab 
and the Ondansetron. 41 just got the swab and a placebo and 41 got an inhaled saline solution and the oral Ondansetron. And the people who did the best were the ones who got the isopropyl alcohol swab, which surprised me because I'm a big fan of Ondansetron. I'm a bit confused by Ondansetron, actually. It seems to become our anti-emetic of choice. Although, actually, it's really a chemotherapy anti-emetic as opposed to anything else. But it is the go-to drug at the moment for anyone who feels sick. And we've forgotten about all of those other anti-emetics we used to use in the past. We're even giving Ondansetron for hyperemesis. And I don't think that's necessarily a treatment that our OBS and gynae colleagues would approve of without trying other stuff first. That's to one side. Again, that discussion about harm versus benefit. I don't think there's much harm from sniffing an alcohol wipe. I can't think of much. It might irritate your nose a little bit, but it seems like a good thing to try. It's quick. It's easy. As ever, as as with all these things, the challenge is making it happen in your emergency department in an ongoing fashion, not just on day one, but on day 101. We are a group of people who have short attention spans and will adopt something really well when it first comes out. But it's making it into that regular, always do it, make sure that it happens every time. As we discussed with nasal therapies, it's exactly the same. There's a bit of a nose theme going on this month. But we should try and make sure we embed these into our everyday activities. One of the things I don't know is whether or not you need a PGD to get people to sniff alcohol swabs. Because one of the things we've thought about is this could be something which can be delivered at triage when the people first arrive. And they could just be given a swab to sniff whilst they're waiting for further therapy. But I don't know whether that's the case. Maybe somebody clever will come back and tell us. I'm sure there will be a rule. There will be some form of other protocol that's written down. But be very grateful if anyone listening knows, is uh, an alcohol wipe something you need to prescribe? Or could it be offered by our nursing triage as an idea? Why don't you give this a go? It may just help. And also, I'm going to try and find a way of buying some alcohol wipes so I can keep them at home for when I have episodes like I had recently. It was no fun whatsoever. So, Simon, there was a couple of other posts in February. Is there anything else you'd like to cover? Just in very briefly, there's a there's a great video from the 1970s about how a casualty department, as it would have been called then, functioned in Liverpool. I won't tell you too much about it. You should go and watch it. It's on the blog site. It's, it's quite amusing, particularly the rapid sequence induction, or should I say rapid sequence intubation of a patient who appears to be awake and holding the laryngoscope together with the doctor. And it's easy to laugh at that and think, oh my gosh, I can't believe what these people were doing. But there's also a lot of similarity about what we still do today. And also it's interesting to look back on the past and say, well, that was kind of amusing, but you know what? In 20 years time, 30, 40 years time, people will be looking back at what we do and having exactly the same thoughts. The other one was just quickly, we had the smack launch party in the UK, which went down really well. And we're really looking forward to going to Australia in 2019. So lots to look forward to coming up. We've uh, mentioned the St. Emlyn's Live conference, and I'm afraid, do forgive us, we will mention it a couple of times. It's something we're heavily invested in. So we would love to see you there. We really believe it's going to be a good day. Smack will be coming up in 2019. For those of you who are planning well in advance, then uh, plan your study leave now. That's down back in Sydney, and that'll be a really special time. Otherwise, It's been a slightly more pleasant month, I think, weather-wise. At least we've had no snow, so let's be positive about that. We'll be back with you very soon to chat through March, and who knows, one day soon we may even catch up and talk to you about the month's blog posts in the actual month that they happened. But we can keep uh, living in hope. Hey, Simon. I'm sure we'll get there. Until we do, everyone, take care and keep enjoying your emergency medicine. Have fun.